0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to Philippians. What you just heard is exactly what Paul is wanting to uh, change in the hearts of the Philippians. He wants them to come to be a people of praise, that they are aware of just what it means that God has brought them into the kingdom of his dear son, and has given them eternal life, and he wants them to become those who praise God, who live their lives in praise of the living God. And so he keeps on talking about some very specific things, which are marks of our faith in Christ. And today, guess what the mark is? It's the mark of contentment. Contentment. Listen to this. This is uh, Philippians 4 verses 10 through 14. Listen to these words. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, you have received your, cons- you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's talking about the fact that they had given him a gift. Now remember, uh, Paul is in prison. That's where he's at. He's under some pretty severe, uh, situation. And he is doing his work as an apostle as he is in prison in Rome. And so he says he thanks them for their gift. They now had an opportunity to give to him again. And listen to this. Not that I speak from want. <laughs> Think about this. This guy is, is under house arrest in Rome. He has to have people from the outside bring him everything that he needs, that is food and all those things. That's the way it is in most of the world, you know. You don't get fed three meals in, mo- in most prisons around the world. You have to have your family bring you food. And so Paul is in this situation and he says, not that I speak from want, that is from lack, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now he has some credibility as he's speaking to them because of his circumstances. And he says, I have, I've learned to be content in every kind of circumstance. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. It was John Calvin who said, it's harder to live in prosperity than it is to live in want and be content. Uh, in fact, in our country, there are those who believe that if you ever came to the place where you were content, you would ruin the economy. We need to be all having a lot of greed in our hearts so that we will be purchasing new things, that we need to be a part of this consumer culture. But Paul says, I've learned to be uh, content in every kind of circumstance in the middle of verse 12 in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret it is a secret he's robbing the the mystery of religions from a word and he's saying i have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need i can do all things through him who strengthens me nevertheless you have done well to share with me in my affliction you yourselves also know philippians that in the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts to me. In Thessalonica, we, we don't know for sure, but it, was, he, it appears as though from his letter to them, he only stayed there a few weeks, two or three weeks, and yet a gift came from the Philippians because they were concerned for him. And here's a man who's living by faith, doing the work of the gospel. And he says, I want you to be the same way. I want you to have contentment. In Luke 12, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when you have, when one has an abundance, when you have a whole lot of stuff, does his life consist of his possessions. It's really an amazing phenomena that you can own a whole lot of stuff. You can have a hard time even finding a place to store it all. And yet, you can lack contentment. And so what he's, what he's telling them is that what Jesus is telling them, beware of greed. Peter, the apostle Peter said, referring to unbelievers, he said in their greed they will exploit you with false words because they want to get something from you. They want you to be their followers. And Paul also warned about those who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. What he means by that is there are those who... Quote, preach the gospel and do it because it's monetary gain. And he, and Paul says that's foolish. And he warned believers against that. There was an ad campaign a few years ago. If you remember it, Schlitz beer. Is that still a beer? I don't even know. But anyway, there was a, they had an ad campaign and the, the, the phrase that they use, you only go around once in life, get all the gusto you can. Well, gusto is a Latin form of the word lust. Get all the lust you can. Fulfill every lust you can because you only go around once in life. There's a, there's a, a fable. We don't know that this is really true, but J. Paul Giddy was once asked, it is said, whether this really happened or not. Some, someone said to J. Paul Giddy, supposedly, how much is enough? And his answer was, what? A little bit more. You all know it, right? Isn't it, isn't it funny how that is true in our hearts? Just a little bit more. Now, what, what Paul is concerned about is he wants this church at the, at Philippi to look like the people of God. You see, he is convinced that the most effective way we can bear witness to the world of the reality of who Christ is and the kingdom of God and what a great and glorious thing it is to come to faith in Christ and become a part of the very kingdom of God in this world today the best way, he wanted us to live such a life that people would have to say to us, why are you the way you are? You know, in uh, in the New Testament, it tells us that, for example, in First, first Peter, Peter told the people that he was writing to, because they were going through persecution, and he says, you're going to be heavily persecuted. You're going to go through some really difficult times, and you need to be prepared to give an explanation for the hope that lies within you. I used to wonder why nobody ever asked me, why are you so full of hope? I've actually never had anybody ask me that. Maybe you'll ask me now because I said this, but no one's ever asked me, explain to me why you have all this hope. Well, these, these people that Peter is writing to are, are being persecuted. They're in difficult circumstances. And he says, the way you should respond to these circumstances should cause people to say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Why are you so filled with hope? In your terrible circumstances. In fact, as Paul's writing these words from prison in Rome, we ought to ask him, why are you so hopeful? Now, I want us, I want us to look at a couple things. You notice the little handout in your bulletin, there's a little outline there of this passage. The first, the very first point is, what does contentment mean? What does it mean to be content? Well, D.A. Carson says it's a state of happiness and satisfaction independent of external circumstances. Now, the key is that last phrase, independent of external circumstances. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like that? Man, if I could ever just get through this, I can finally find happiness and contentment and satisfaction. If I could just get through this. I experience that all the time. If I can just figure out how to solve this problem. I got a letter a couple of weeks ago that said, some institution where my, some of my information was my Social Security number and, and some other things, and they said that they had been breached. And so they wanted to sell me a, a little insurance policy to guarantee that that wouldn't be used in the wrong way. And that weighed on me. I knew it was a scam, but it weighed on me thinking about, how do you protect all your stuff? How, do we possibly, uh, or how are we possibly able to guard all of our stuff? Well, what Paul said was, and he was in prison, and guess what? You didn't get to take anything. He's there in prison, and he's kind of like those first disciples of Jesus that he sent out, remember? He sent them out through, through Israel, and he says, I don't want you to take a bag. I don't want you to take an extra uh, pair of clothes. I want you to go and just go, and doors are going to be open, and you can bear witness of me, and you can trust in me. You can rely upon me. And so Paul tells us here that he wants them, the Philippian church, and he would say to you, I want you, the church in Knitson, I want you to be content. Because people are going to wonder, why are you, why do you have such an air of contentment about you? Why aren't you worried about this world? Why aren't you sending out emails to everybody and warning them about how the world's about to fall apart? Why is that? Some people think, well, you're just so lazy. If you get on the stick and start warning people like you ought to. And yet what Paul says is, no, you should be, you should have contentment. You should know that God is in control. Can I ask you, who is in control of the universe? The Lord Jesus Christ is the King of glory, right? And we're told that we all have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and that's where we live. We live under the rule of Christ, and we live under the watchful eye of Christ. Do you actually think he doesn't know what's going on in your life? You ever get thinking that way? That God has no idea how terrible your situation is or what's just around the corner that you're so worried about? You're in his hands. And that's what Paul wants them to live like. Now there was, a, there was a philosophy of life that you've all heard of that was going on at this time when Paul wrote this called Stoicism. And the Stoics had a method for having what they called contentment. And it was just manipulating your mind, to having a certain mindset so that you wouldn't worry about things and you could have contentment and you would have a sense of sufficiency. That's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul is talking about is a mindset that's based on reality. That is that you take on the paradigm of the truth that Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom of God, and you're in that kingdom. Listen to this. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency, you get that? Always all sufficiency in everything. You hear those? You may have an abundance for every good work. Now, he's talking in that context about giving, giving to needy believers around the world. And he says, guess what? God will make it possible for you to give because he'll make it possible for you to, to fulfill his will. He goes, and then he says, God made, a, made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. The only reason that we're able to give, like uh, you just heard this testimony, I got a letter from Jim Robinette, who's in Kampala, a missionary in Kampala. Some of you might remember him. He's been to our church several times. And Jim is uh, basically ministering to street kids. Now, street kids in Kampala are different than here. Well, no, not that much, actually. These kids have run away from home. They don't want to be with their parents, and they're in abject poverty. He sends me these pictures of these kids sleeping in this room they have for them, And most of them have one tennis shoe on, one shoe, but that's some kind of that's a sign of something. They have something, and he says, "Pray for us that we'd be able to convince them that they can trust God and go home to their family." Isn't that amazing? And you see, the 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 fact is that God is able to meet the needs of His people, but He wants you to receive it from Him as a gift. And that means it's by faith. Now, what's the, what are the benefits of contentment? Well, if you notice in verse, verse 10 and 11, notice again what he says. But I rejoice, Lord, greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. Whatever circumstance I am in, I have contentment it's totally it is totally unconnected from your circumstance you know sometimes we know people who who have so much that they ought to be content and yet there's no contentment and other people who ought to be worried sick and they have contentment what's the difference Well, according to Paul, you can have contentment independently of your circumstances. And that's what he's arguing for. And so he's saying two things. The benefits of contentment, first of all, are not being dominated by our needs. Are you dominated by your needs? As you live the Christian life, are you worried about things that you don't have that you think you need, you must have, and yet you don't have them? Well, guess what? When you have Christian contentment, when you learn the secret of contentment in Christ... You won't be dominated by your needs. Paul says, in in fact, in this notice, what he says here, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Joy controls his heart and he's in prison. He has no freedom. Joy controls his heart. And so he speaks from joy, not want. And want in the scripture means I feel a lack of what I desperately need. You know, in the... The 23rd Psalm says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. Which doesn't mean, and you're thinking, wait a minute, I've never spent 10 minutes of my life when I didn't want something. But he's talking about, I don't lack anything. I have all that I need. That's what he's saying. And he's rejoicing in it. Jesus said in Matthew 12, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The word fills means controls the heart. What fills up your heart? What controls your heart? So what's, what's filling Paul's heart when he says these words? It's Christ. It's joy. His joy in Christ fills his heart. And so his joy is controlling his heart. He seeks from joy, not from want. And you would think that what he would do would send them a list of things that he needs. Now, he does that sometimes. He says, send my scrolls, uh, send send this, send, send Mark, to visit me, to be with me. But, but he's, when he's talking about contentment, he's saying, I am totally independent of my circumstances in my contentment, because joy fills my heart. The second benefit of contentment is not being limited by your circumstances. And that's why Paul says, I've learned to have contentment in whatever circumstances I am. I've learned. What does that mean? He's learned on my part, it actually means, it's very emphatic, it's I myself, on my part, I've learned something. I've learned how to be content. Have you learned how to be content? Have you learned how to be content in any and every circumstance? That's what Paul's wanting this church to do, so that they'll have a valid testimony to the world around them. Why aren't you people worried sick? Why aren't you working hard to, to get more and more and more? Build bigger barns. Why aren't you? And he says, when when you're asked this, you you can have an answer. Because I have joy and contentment in Christ. He's everything I need. And he says he had learned to be content with what God provided. You you do understand that God is in control of your life, don't don't you? Don't you understand that God is sovereign over all things and there's nothing that's out of his control? There's not one single atom in the universe that is outside of his control. Now, sometimes that scares people because then they think you're blaming God for all the bad stuff that goes on in the world. That's not the point. The point is that God is sovereign over all. And yes, he could even keep me from making mistakes. He could keep you from making mistakes, but he hasn't done it, has he? Because this sovereign God is all-wise and he allows us to come to the ends of ourselves until we turn to him. And so Paul says, I've learned to be content with whatever God's provided, irrespective of my circumstances. It's significant that he learned this, and you have to learn contentment. It doesn't just come automatically. It comes from understanding who Christ is and what Christ has done. You heard this testimony by from, from Brenda, and... Uh, I hope, it's, I hope it sinks into your heart that you understand that it's God, it is the God of the universe who has reached down and blessed her life through people. And this is what the testimony of the church is to be. So to be content, for Paul meant that he learned to be content so he no longer spoke from, the, from this mindset of want. Want. It's, it's really hard not to, as an American, not to always want something. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to accumulate things. But then when you get my age, you're wondering, what are we going to do with all this stuff anyway? My wife's really wondering that. She's worried. I, I gotta, she's not here, so I can tell you again. She's really worried about all these books that I have. Because she thinks I'm going to keel over, and she's going to be stuck with moving these books around. So if you need some good Bible books, exposition, and theology, when I die, come and talk to Judy. She'll dispense those books. Want is a disposition. It's a mindset. It's a paradigm. It's a way of looking at life. John Calvin said, That man can never be poor in mind who is satisfied with the lot which he has been assigned by God. God has placed you where he's placed you. For his good purpose and his glory. And he wants you to learn to be content with where he has placed you and the way he's worked in your life. And so Paul says, in whatever circumstances I'm in. Now, there's three contrasts here in verse 12, if you notice. It says, I know how to get along with humble means. That's talking about money. And also, I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled. That's food and going hungry. Have you? (laughs) Both of having abundance and suffering need. So he talks about money and food and possessions. And so he says, whatever circumstance I'm in, and he he mentions these three different categories. First, I know how to be humbled, and I know how to abound. Remember in this book, in chapter 2, what he said about Jesus? Although he was in the form of God... He did not think think being equal with God, which he was, was something he needed to grab and cling to and hang on to and use for his own benefit. But he emptied himself and took on our humanity and became a servant. So the God of the universe, and we're told in John 1 that he's the one who actually did the speaking into existence in in the creation. It was the Son of God. He had everything. He was in the form of God. And yet he didn't think it was so important to have this equality with God manifest that he would cling to it rather than come and become one of us and die on the cross to set us free. Isn't that amazing? And you see, so Paul understands that because my Savior was humbled, I can be humbled, and I also know how to abound. There were times like they had sent him a gift, and so he's been given this gift, and he says, I can have it either way. It doesn't matter. I can have nothing, or I can have everything. And then secondly, food. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. I don't like this particular part of it. Do you? He's learned this secret quite literally. He's learned this secret. It's a secret. This is probably a great diet plan. I've learned this secret. This really is a technical term for the mystery religions because they were built upon secrets that you could only know as you became an initiate. And Paul says, oh, I've learned the secret of being filled or going hungry and not letting it steal my contentment. Isn't that amazing? So incredibly practical. And then third, he talks about positions. He says, it doesn't matter whether I'm having abundance or suffering need. Remember, do you remember the account in Acts where Paul was on the, on the sea day and night clinging to some wreckage? Have you ever been that poor where the only treasure you had was a piece of wreckage you could cling to so you could breathe air? And he said, I've learned contentment. Striking things he knows the secret of both plenty and want. And as I said, Calvin said, learning how to abound is much greater than learning how to be poor. He said, it's harder. It's harder to be content when you have all kinds of resources. And we all know that's true, because having a lot of resources mean I need a lot of stuff. So I have to accumulate a lot of stuff. But Paul said, I've learned He wasn't like the rich man. Remember the rich man who said, man, what am I going to do? I filled all my barns up. I'm going to have to build. I'm going to have to tear those down and build bigger barns because I want to get some more stuff. And so Paul experiences this plenty of want. He says, I have contentment. Contentment. I'm satisfied. Jesus is in control. I don't have to fall apart every time I get a little bit of news. You know, you are, you guys, in, in this day and age, you are so vulnerable to being continually pushed this way and that by all the latest stuff, especially if you stay on a computer all the time or a, or an iPhone and you're seeing the latest news. I used to read the news every single day, New York Times, bad news city. In fact, you know, the best thing I ever read in, uh, New York Times? I just remember this. I had it in front of my Bible. This is a column by Nicholas Kristof. He's an unbeliever. He's not a Christian by his own profession. And yet this is what he said, because he travels all over the world, and he he, he uh, writes about different situations in the world. And so he goes everywhere, and he sees all kinds of things, and he says, in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their incomes to charities, mostly church-related. Most important, though, or more important, They go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, or genocide, and some of the bravest people you will ever meet are evangelical Christians, and he thinks you're all crazy for what you believe, but he can't get over how your lives bear testimony to the reality of Christ. He goes on, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've been, who's been risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that faith mocked in New York cocktail parties, which he often goes to. Because religious people do fantastic work on humanitarian issues. If we could just bridge this God gulf, if we could ever just become like them without having to have God, and, he's, and you can't, we would make for more progress in the world's ills And that would be, well, a godsend. Now, this guy is considered to be an intellectual. And he is impressed with Christians who sacrifice to meet the needs of others. And they have a contentment that's so unusual that they can be content with what God provides wherever he takes them, whatever he's doing in their life. So it's good, isn't it? It's a good thing to be content. Now, regardless of what all the marketers say, Madison Avenue would tell you it's a horrible thing if all the people in the United States became content. Probably the president would say that too. Our economy would go belly up. You've got to feel needy. The key to contentment is found in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's real simple, isn't it? The key to contentment is Christ. It's faith in Christ. Now, if you put that together, in verse 13 together with John fifteen four, where Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, there, it's Christ and it's faith in Christ that gives you contentment. When you're not feeling content, when you're being driven by these desires and wants, and if I just had this, I could be happy. Remember when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler and he said, here's here's what you're missing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. He was putting his finger on his God. His God were his riches. And he said, you have to worship the one true and living God. And it says he went went away quite sad because he was very rich. What Paul is saying is, the contentment you receive with, from Christ is not dependent on your circumstances. It's not depending upon you being rich or poor. Whether you're rich or poor, you can have contentment in Christ. I can live in want. I can live in plenty in Him who strengthens me. That's what He's saying. And it's not like the Stoic. It's not you know playing with your mind to get yourself to think something that's not true. It's believing the truth. It's putting your trust in the one true and living God the Son of God, who is the King of glory. And it's because we have a relationship with Him that we can have contentment, real contentment. So when he says he's, he can do all things, I can do all things through Christ, he's saying I can, be, I can have contentment when I have plenty or when I have nothing. When I'm lacking, I can have contentment. Paul finds Christ sufficient in times of bounty as well as in times of need. So this isn't some form of stoicism. This is the reality of who Christ is. If you're here visiting and you're not a Christian, a lot of this I'm sure sounds like mumbo-jumbo, but let me tell you what the Christian message is, that Jesus Christ was sent into this world by his Father, God the Father. He sent his Son into the world to redeem us, and to reconcile us to God for whom we were made and created, and to enjoy the freedom, the glorious freedom of having a relationship with God who owns all things. You've heard that expression, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That expression is from the Bible, and it simply means, oh, we have a very rich father. He's not only a good, good father, he is rich. God has what's called by theologians, a aseity. Aseity is just a Latin term meaning he has life in himself. That's why he calls himself I am. You don't have that. You don't have life in yourself. So there may come a day in which you're put on life support. Because you have to have oxygen. You have to have certain blood pressure. Your heart has to be pumping and so forth. God has a seity. He is the I am. And he wants to have a relationship with you. That is what is... Totally incredible that he actually sent his son to the world to rescue you and to reconcile you to himself for you to come to have a relationship with the living God by faith in Christ. Now it had to be by faith because if he put any work at all upon you and said, if you do this, if you, if you achieve this, then I'll accept you as mine, you would never be able to do it. So what he does is he gives it to you as a gift. You say, thank you. You say, thank you. That's what salvation is. It's a gift from God, but you have to receive it. And until you receive it as a gift by faith, you cannot be reconciled to God. And so if it feels like life is too hard without God, you are exactly right. Because God created you to have a relationship with him, and he has called you to himself. And the gospel, just which just means good news, the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that God sent his son into the world to take your place and to live a life that you should have lived and haven't, and then to die on the cross and suffer the death that you deserve to die. And yet God doesn't want you to die. And so he sends his son into the world to save you from death and condemnation and separation from the living God. Everybody's familiar with Hell. Hell is in the Bible. In fact, the person who talks the most about hell is Jesus because he's always appealing to people. You don't want to go there. Let me tell you what's bad about hell. It's not the fire. The fire is bad, but that's not what it is. The thing about hell is it's called outer darkness. It means to be separated from God for all eternity. And you were made for a relationship with God. That's why he created you. And so the good news is that God sent his son to the world to bring you to himself simply by trusting him, believing that he is who he says he is and he has done what he said he would do, to die for you so you could be reconciled to God. And so when Paul talks about contentment, he's talking about coming to the place where you rest completely in Christ. You rest in Christ. Because really what life is about for believers, what life is about for us is this. It's living for the glory of God. It's giving ourselves all of our energy and all the resources we can muster to live in a way that would glorify God. That's why we live. That's our purpose in life, is that Jesus Christ would be glorified and known for who he really is. So he's not saying, when I'm in want, I receive plenty because of my relationship with Christ. I believe real strong, and then Jesus gives me all the stuff I want. That's not the gospel. That isn't the gospel. If you would just stop and think for five minutes, you'd realize that some of your biggest heartaches and headaches are stuff that you have accumulated and trying to figure out how you're going to get rid of it. But what God wants to do, he wants to give you contentment so that you can bear witness to the gospel as a community of faith so that we'd be people who live in contentment and encourage one another so that we can bear witness to this world about what it's like to have a relationship with God by faith, not by works, not by our earning, but by our receiving in faith. So Paul's perspective is being conformed to his death so as to attain resurrection. I want to live with Christ for all eternity. I want to be in his presence. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. That's a responsibility of believers, is to come to that state of mind, that paradigm in my life. I can do all things. I can be content in any circumstance because of who Christ is to me. And I am to abide in him. Now, there's a fruit he mentions in verse 14 the fruit of this contentment and here's what it is verse 14 says nevertheless you have done well to share with me in my affliction that's the fruit of contentment and what paul is doing is he is giving them thank. he's showing gratitude because they have dispensed the grace of god to him first peter 4:10 says every believer every christian has a spiritual gift and so peter says you have the gift that you've been given use it as good Stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here's what a steward is. It's a person who dispenses the goods of the householder to people who need it. And you have a gift in order to dispense the grace of God to people. These Philippians sent Paul a gift. They were dispensing God's grace, and Paul showed gratitude towards them. That's a fruit of contentment. To show gratitude to the dispensers of God's grace. So, I pray that we would be a church filled with people who are content, that have real contentment, contentment in Christ. That would be a great testimony to this community. If we were a group of people, they said, Yeah, those people are weird. They're really content. And we're content because of Christ. It's okay to be driven as long as you're being driven for the glory of God. But you don't have to be driven. You can actually find contentment in Him by simply resting completely in what He's done for you. That's what He has called you to. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray and ask you that you would bring us to a place of real contentment in our lives and help us to be ready to give an answer to those who want to know why we have this hope in us. Father, thank you for all the rich, rich blessings that you have poured into our lives, all the relationships. Thank you so much for the testimony we heard this morning, Father. It touched our hearts because we realize that you took us off the hash sheep, and you caused us to sit with princes. You've given us a place, a family, a purpose in life. And it's all because we simply trusted, put our trust in your Son. We thank you so much for the benefits of knowing you. And we pray that as we leave this place, as we sing this closing song and leave this place, that we would go rejoicing in the fact that we can be content and that we can be a testimony to the fact that the living Christ, the living Christ supplies everything we need, even unseen things. And we pray that you would instill that in our hearts, Father, and that our lives would show it in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.